0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, before we start, just a quick question. Am I the only one who didn't get the memo about, like, I know Bill and I had talked about this, but I totally forgot about Indian summer, and I had put all my summer clothes away. And I'm up here sweating because I, I'm thinking fall weather, and I see everybody else in shorts and t-shirts. So yes, I am the only one who did not get the memo. Okay, all right, but uh, so forgive me if I'm up here dying of sweat, but it's it's, it's hot. But this morning, uh, we're continuing a series that we did in Daniel, and though even though we are we were last week, we were talking in Daniel chapter eight about the visions that God gave to Daniel. This week, we're gonna kind of head back to Daniel chapter five. Uh, So I'm going to explain why. I know I did a couple of weeks ago. I'm gonna explain why again and put some verses up on the screen. But while I do that, you go ahead, pull out a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter five, right? Daniel chapter five in your Bibles. I'm gonna put some verses up here on the screen Explain why we're jumping back and forth. And I, I just want to make clear, I hope everyone is okay with the amount of Bible that we read through. I know a lot of places, thank you for whoever turned on the fan. I know a lot of places they don't, there's just like, here's a passage and you go on and that's okay. But uh, one of the reasons I like to go through a lot of Bible is so that one, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. You can read it for yourself. But two, so it's not just as a pastor, I'm up here proclaiming the word of God, but I'm also preaching and teaching and explaining. Here's, here's why this makes sense. Here, here's how this, uh, how this was written, why it was written, and here's how it's supposed to be understood in context. So uh, while you're turning to Daniel chapter 5, uh, I'm going to jump to Daniel chapter 4. So a couple of weeks ago, we were in Daniel chapter 4, and this is the way it ended. With Nebuchadnezzar saying, I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, all his ways are just, those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now, I don't know the exact time frame, exact year on which this happened, but Nebuchadnezzar brought Daniel in, Daniel went under training for three years, and then he went in to serve Nebuchadnezzar as the king of Babylon. And then we read about all the instances in which God used Daniel to speak to the king, speak biblical truth to the king, right? So this is within Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's king of Babylon. When you jump to chapter seven, it starts out in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now, Belshazzar, sorry, I keep mispronouncing his name. Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He is now, although he's king, he's like a regent king. Has anyone been watching uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power? Don't for, for me geeking out, but it's good. Okay, it, it's good. The, if you do, go watch that and you'll understand what, understand what a regent king is because there's a king who's sick and his daughter is serving as the regent queen. So uh, Belshazzar is serving as like a regent king. His father is still king, but for whatever reason, either he's sick or out of town or whatever, whatever the case is, Belshazzar is serving as the king. This is about 553 B.C., the first year of Belshazzar being king of Babylon. When you jump to chapter 8, it says in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, God gives Daniel another vision. So this is 551 B.C. So one year, and then another year, in the third year of his reign. 551 B.C. Bear with me, this is going to make sense. When you get to chapter 5, even though chapter 8 is later, chapter 5, it starts, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles drank wine with them. This is 12 years later. This is 539 BC. It's the last year. It's actually literally the last day of Belshazzar's reign, And we're, we're, we're going to read that in a minute. And what I explained to you guys before is that when, when Daniel was writing this, he wrote about his interactions with the kings first, and then he followed it up with all these visions that God had given him, even though some of those visions occurred within the reigns of some of the kings. So uh, that's why we've been jumping around to see it chronologically. The visions we read about the last two weeks occurred during Belshazzar's reign. And those visions were about the end of the Babylonian Empire and all the kingdoms that would come after it. Now, Daniel is about to live that out. And you guys are going to read about it. So if you have a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 5. And if you don't, there's one on the table in front of you, left or right of you somewhere. Um, But in Daniel chapter 5, this is how it starts. Chapter 5, excuse me, verse 1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. That word father doesn't mean father like you gave birth to me, um, even though it's the women that do that, but you're, you're my father. It's father or descendant of. Right, So had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. And if you don't know what concubine is, it's it's basically like a, uh, what do they call it, Uh, common law wife. You don't get the legal according to the government as being a wife, but all the other things that go along with it. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, here, here, here's the thing, and this is important this is one of the most well known accounts in the Bible. Because we're going to read about this giant hand that appears and starts writing on the wall. How many people have heard about that from the Bible? Yeah, and the phrase, do you see the writing on the wall? That's kind of where we get that from, right? But here's a spoiler alert. This passage, this chapter, is not about the writing on the wall. Although that's what most people remember, right? Just like uh, when you read through Jonah, it's not about the whale. Although that's what most people remember right this passage is not about the writing on the wall here's what it's actually about it's about the fact that god holds political leaders accountable and 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 this is the important part god uses his people to speak truth to political leaders that's what uh, i was going to say jonah that's what daniel has been doing to Nebuchadnezzar in the previous chapters, every time he's called in front of him, he says, yeah, you say this king, but here is what the most high God says. Here is what you should be doing. Perhaps you should relent. Perhaps you should acknowledge God's sovereign authority over and over and over. And that's what God uses his people today, us to do, right? And today we get to do that. Uh, He doesn't have to put writing on the wall because we're the people that God can use to speak biblical truth to political leaders, right? And we get to do that through, although most people think Twitter and Facebook, that's not how we do it. We get to do it in this country by our vote. We get to say, hey, I don't think you're aligning with God's will, so I'm going to vote for someone else that does, right? Jump down to chapter five. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, and most theologians believe that it was a human hand because it was the hand of Jesus Christ himself. Now, we can debate that all day long, but they believe that because they believe, and and, and the Bible says, that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. So, let me continue on though. Near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Like that's how scared he was. Uh, two reasons. One, because, I mean, he, he understood this is a divine message. This isn't normal for a human hand to show up and start writing on the wall, right? Uh, and the language that's used here to show his fear is, I can't, the best biblical way to say that he did things in his pants that you're only supposed to do in diapers. That's how scared he was, right? I mean, that's the only way to say that. Okay. Verse seven, the king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means, will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest the ruler of the kingdom. And the third highest, because again, uh, Belshazzar was serving as a regent. The first highest was the king. I believe his name was Nabadanis. I may be mispronouncing that. For whatever reason, he was unavailable or possibly sick or incapacitated. So Belshazzar was serving as a regent king, second highest, because that king was still in authority. And he said, whoever, whoever reads this will be the third highest. Now, it's not that they didn't understand what the words meant, right? The words were written in a language they could understand, and the words were mini, mini, tekel, parson. It's not that they didn't know what the words meant. They didn't understand the message that God was trying to communicate them. And so because they didn't understand the message, they ended up calling for uh, Daniel to come in. So in verse 13, Daniel was brought. Now think about this. At this time, this is 539 BC, right? This is is when this happens. This is historically when we know that the Babylonian empire fell and the Medes and the Persians took over, 539 BC. Daniel, around 606, 605 BC, you know, whether on or off a year, was taken into captivity from Israel. He was at that time somewhere between 12 to 14. Most people think 14 to 16. At this point, he's in his 80s. He spent his whole entire adult life serving under kings who did not know God, who did not agree with God, and yet he served them on behalf of God, not because he wanted to serve those kings, but because he wanted to serve God. At this point, Daniel... In his 80s, probably retired, right? Probably living on a villa somewhere, probably, you know, fishing every day or hunting every day or doing whatever it is retired people do. Uh, so at, Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made, again, the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel says, hey, keep your gifts for yourself, keep your rewards for someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king, tell him what it means. And again, spoiler alert, I just want to make sure that we understand how many people are aware this message, not just for Belshazzar, right? God has this, God didn't need to go to this degree of, for lack of a better term, theatrics just to get his message across to Belshazzar. But God does it so that he can get his message across to Daniel, to Belshazzar, to all the Israelites serving and living in and around under that kingdom and to every person today. And this is the message that he shares if you jump over to verse 18. He says, O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him All the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. And he's reiterating what we have talked about for weeks, that God is the one who gives power and authority and glory to people. He says, those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory because, again, God holds political leaders accountable, right? And it says, he was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal, lived with the wild donkeys, ate grass like a cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone who wishes, And here's the key. He says, but you, his son, again, son meaning descendant, you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself though you knew all of this. It wasn't that they had a job to do and they didn't know they were supposed to align with God's moral standards. It's they knew full well that God gives authority to people and that those in positions of authority are supposed to follow God's morality. But here's what a lot of, and I'm not hating on politicians, here's what a lot of politicians do today, the same thing that Daniel says in verse 23, instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And that's why we have so much infighting and difficulty amongst politicians today and amongst, uh, uh, we see a lot of injustice and violence and all of that stuff. Drop down to verse 25 because here's where he says the message. This is the inscription that was written. Meany, meany, tekel parsons. And this is what the words mean. Meany means numbered. So, meany, meany, numbered, numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tikal means weighed. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez is actually the singular of parson. It means your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now remember, 12 years before this, God gave Daniel that vision of the Medes and the Persians taking over the kingdom of babylon verse 29 then at belshazzar's command daniel was clothed in purple a gold chain was placed around his neck he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom which meant absolutely nothing because that very night belshazzar king of the babylonians was slain and darius the mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62 and Daniel's 80, Darius is 62. Can we just say amen for the senior citizens? And people, are, I mean, everyone's like, well, we got to get a, a pastor that's in his 20s. We need politicians in their 20s. We need people who know what the heck they're doing, have been around for a while, made some mistakes, and are willing to stand up and say, you know what, that's not right. We, we, we need, that's not going to work. Let's not waste our time and energy doing that. But here's the thing, okay? Um, this is like one of the most important messages uh, regarding political authority in the Bible, right? And we know God has reiterated throughout this book and we've talked about it in other books that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. But here, here's the message again, God holds political leaders accountable and, and, and God uses his people to speak truth to political leaders. And I know a lot of people don't remember this or seem to ignore it, but before we did that with our vote, we did that by fighting. That's what the Revolutionary War was all about. And a lot of people, I'm not, you know, I, people can argue this all day and night. They say, "Well, this is a Christian nation. This is not a Christian nation." Doesn't matter what they say. If you read the Declaration of Independence, it literally says. We are declaring these things because you are violating the rights given to us by God, our creator. And those rights are worth fighting for. And people lost their families, their businesses, and their lives fighting for the rights that we take for granted today. But today, we don't have to go to war. We live in a nation where we get to vote, and with our vote, we can say, hey, I don't agree with what you're doing. We don't have to put nasty things on Facebook. We don't have to put nasty things on Twitter. We can just go to the polls and say, you know what? You're not following God's morality. You're not following God's justice, so I'm going to vote for someone who does. Walk out of the polls and go enjoy the rest of your day. That's the way it's supposed to work in our nation. And if we're Christians, I was talking to someone uh, online who, who, who was saying that I just don't feel like as a Christian, I can vote because I feel like I'm just, and she gave me this long list of crazy things and, and, and no disrespect, but they were just not in line. And my response was, hey, but if you're a Christian and here's the reality, right? God's people, we have a biblical mandate to hold leaders accountable to God's moral standard. If we know that the people who are running are not abiding by God's moral standard, and we don't vote, we're basically allowing them to do what God said they should not do. We're fortunate, not every nation on the world allows their people to vote. Some have dictators, some have kings, whatever they have. We have a situation where no matter what party you're in, you can look at the people in that party during the, what's that called, the primary, and say, no, 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 okay, you're the best option we got, I'm going with you. Every person in every party gets that Now, I'm a registered independent, so I don't get to say that for either party, but every person gets to say that. And I'm not trying to tell anyone how to vote. I am saying, pray before you vote. Doesn't matter what party you're in. But we have a biblical mandate to hold leaders accountable to God's word. And God doesn't have to put writing on the wall. He doesn't have to go through some big spiritual theatrical process because, one, he's given us his word which we should be reading, which that's why we spend so much time going through it. So no one can say, well, Floyd, you're making that up. I, I, there's nothing that we just read that I made up, right? I mean, can we all agree that th- that's what the word of God says? And now that we have that, we can take that out and live that out, but also we get to apply it to our vote. And here's, here's here's, and this is, this is again, we talked about this, but this is important uh, because there was a time when the people of Israel weren't doing that. They were kind of doing what we're doing today. They were putting up, instead of people that aligned with God's morality, just people that they thought, oh, well, this person will help my business. This person will give me more farmland. This person will do this for me. And God sent the prophet Hosea to say to them, he said, hey, Israel cries out to me. Our God, we acknowledge you. But, and this is a big but, Israel has rejected what is good. Because they rejected what is good, God says, an enemy's gonna pursue you. And here's how they rejected what was good. They set up kings without my consent and chose princes without my approval. We don't wanna be those people. And today our political parties will tell us, hey, we know what's best, but we serve a God who we know he knows what's best. Because our hope is not in the political parties. Our hope is not in uh, whatever politician we vote for. The world is not going to become a much better place on November 9th because of the way you voted on November 8th. The world will become a much better place when we, the people of God, stand up for God and go out into our communities and share and show the love of God to other people. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and we're going to uh, close out with a time of prayer. God, we know we live in a nation where just the politics in our nation have us so divided, as a people, and as your people. Uh, we've we've seen division, especially over the last few years, over race, over culture, over politics, uh, over vaccination mandates. Uh, over everything, you name it. And we live in a nation where every single day we find new ways to divide. But our prayer is that going forward, that rather than divide because of our politics, we would stand together and unite because of the Prince of Peace, We pray that we would let the love and mercy and grace and forgiveness you show to us be the thing that drives us forward. We pray that we do acknowledge the the right and the privilege we have in this nation to go and to vote. And we pray that everyone is able to do that uh, on November 8th. But we also pray regardless of how we voted, regardless of who gets in office, regardless of who doesn't, That we, your people, would come back together and still exalt and praise the name of you, our most high God. And we pray this in the name of your son Jesus.